Hey everybody, Derek here. This is Evil Chat number 22. Uh, my guest on this one is going to be Harvey McGuire, and I'll get into him in a moment. Uh, but before I do, just want to say thanks to everybody for the incredible feedback on the damn podcast. That was really good. Oh, if you can hear my dog here, just came, jumped in my lap. Um, so it was amazing feedback. Uh, even included a phone call from a, uh, former coach slash mentor of mine, uh, uh telling me I should uh, transcript or make it make it transcribe the uh, that and put it out as a uh, as a publication somewhere so that was quite interesting I got some really cool feedback from some former athletes and other people so that was really good and thanks to Dan once again for doing that um, uh, I don't think people really appreciate what that meant for him to do that and I just, yeah, anyways, that was great. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Um, and thanks to everybody for the feedback on the Stevo podcast, the Dale Stevenson podcast, which in a whole other way was uh, really successful. Um, you know, especially given the fact it's really, you know, the, I guess you might, it was intended to be sort of a specialized podcast, I guess, around throwing, but if you haven't listened to it and you're into methodology, you really want to listen to that one. It's quite outstanding. And I got, I mean, I had uh, one of the top powerlifting coaches in the world, if not the top powerlifting coach in the world, Mike Tashur, contact me and say, wow, man, that was amazing. Mike is going to be on the podcast at some point too. Uh, that was amazing. How do I get a hold of this guy? And so I set them up. So anyways, um, yeah, that was really good. So that's that. You know, last few have been home runs for sure. So that's great. Thanks for listening. Um, this podcast today is about development coaching, developmental coaching. But before I introduce the person I'm speaking with, who you almost certainly have never heard of before, unless you are a coach at Loughborough University in England, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the term development coach, developmental coaching, either of those two. So I uh, saw something, uh, this, an epic, epic insecure rant the other day online um, about a bunch of things from somebody, and they took issue with the term development coach using development using the term developmental coach for high school coaches and blah 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 so so to set the record straight and I can't believe I even have to say this because for me um or at least in in, in regards to anything I put out I think everybody knows that I'm a big advocate for developmental coaching developmental coaches um you know I see that as just as valuable it probably more valuable if i was to be honest when it's done right um as elite coaching uh just as difficult if not more although i wouldn't even really say that i would say they're just different and i've said that many many times so anyways um you know that's where i stand but you have to have a term for it right like you know, you have to have a term for an all a, a term for coaches that are working with athletes that are developing. 
Um, that is, they have not been fully developed yet and are training in uh, uh, training at the elite level. So, um, yeah, so, so that's the term that I use, development coaching. Uh, so for those of you who, you know, take issue with that, well, you're just going to have to probably fuck right off and live with it. All right. Simple as that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, actually, you know what my, I would, I, I think in that, in that regard, development coaching, that is that the best example I can think of, of how it's done right is Patty McGrath, who I had on the podcast a while back. Now I would not, I, I don't know what you would call Patty. Uh, cause he's, I guess, similar to me in some ways, although he's just way better at it all across the board in that he's worked with not only development athletes, but elite athletes. He coaches the American record holder set this year in the men's hammer. And, but I would, I'm assuming I could be wrong here, but I'm assuming that the bulk of his time is beginning athletes, starting athletes in the hammer. Because uh, he he's a club coach. He's not, you know, he, I think he works for a college too in New York. Well, I know he does. Uh, but he is a, um, you know, he's a, he is a club coach, I think first and foremost, or at least has a lot of developing athletes coming through his system. I mean, <laughs> that's what I aspire to. What As a coach right now, my where I'm at in my coaching, going back to, you know, working with uh, younger athletes. Uh, that's that's the kind of guy that I want to be like. I want to have a, a good system. I want to have a good uh, technical progression in terms of having a model to work with. And I want to teach athletes right. And I want to put them on the right path and give them the opportunity to uh, give them opportunities that they may not have otherwise and do it right so not just so that they do very well at the end of their developmental career or high school career whatever you want to call it but they get those opportunities and then go on and do even better and that's not easy okay and that's what patty is a master at okay so i don't know if you call him development i don't know if you call him elite or high performance he's just great all around i love that guy big fan so all right, that's enough of that. So my guest today is Harvey McGuire. I met Harvey through my friend Richard Weeder, who was um, the head of England uh, England athletics develop, uh, coaching, I was going to say development, coaching development, actually, uh, when I was working in England and is now in upper sport management at Loughborough University, which is where I used to work, and he uh, he contacted me probably just a little under a year ago and asked me if I'd start talking to this coach that he had there, up-and-coming sprint coach, younger guy, uh, who is actually a trained professional uh, physical therapist and a former soccer coach. But however, he's, I think he'll tell us in the podcast here how he's gotten into sprint coaching. And he, Richard asked me if I would, you know, have a few talks with him. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And they were so good that like right after the first, I was like, man, I should have recorded that because that would be an interesting thing to put out there as a podcast. So we started doing it and we did, I think, two of them. And then in my big 
computer crash. I lost everything, so we had to start again. So this is the first discussion, and it's better than the two that we had before. I know for a fact this one went really well. We talk a lot about, you know, uh, what he looks for in terms of um, information and finding mentorship and coaches to emulate or to model off of or to find information from however you want to look at that and then him and I have this big back and forth about um, you know like you know well yeah I you know do you base that on results do you base that on how they coach like how do you base that what factors do you have to take into account um, and I challenged him on a few things there and it was, I thought it was quite an interesting conversation. Anyways, I just stopped talking. You'll hear it all. So, uh, let's just get into it. So here we are for better or for worse, evil chat. Number 22, Harvey Maguire. Beauty. It's gone. Hey, Harvey, how are you, man? Yeah, good. Very good. Um, so yeah. So this was going to be a catch up, but, you know, let's just roll it and see what, what we get into. Um, so just to, this one is going up no matter what. No pressure <laughs> I mean, then, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. No pressure. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, so I think I, the first time we did this, so what, what, what happened was, okay, I'll, I'll explain it for the listeners. So Harvey approached me what god it must have been a year ago right weeder weeta mr weeta um, yeah. <laughs> approached I can't me say about, about you know talking to you about training and stuff and it went so well i thought god you know this i should have recorded that this would have been a great conversation for coaches that are new to coaching athletics or or even just generally i mean it was like because you're pretty on the ball Way more than Weeder. And I think that... No comment. Uh, I can't say anything. He's my boss, right? I can't say much. Yeah, well, he's not my boss, so so I'm not worrying about it. <laughs> but anyways, he, uh, you know, and I thought, um, so, you know, so then so then you and I did two where I lost them. We we did two podcasts where we chatted and, and they were awesome. And I, I didn't really lose them. What I did is I, well, I did. I lost them. You don't really lose them, but I... I had a computer, huge computer crash issue, and I re, I had to re, uh, factory reset my, my five thousand dollar iMac Pro. It's a piece of wow. shit. Fucking wow. piece of shit. Don't don't ever buy iMacs, man. Like, I mean, it's just, or at least I, I got talked into it. I had to like, like I didn't have the money for it, and you know, one of those things, right? And uh, and anyways, the reason I got it was so I could produce video faster because my old Mac desktop tower, which was, you know, the Mac pro it was called, uh, which I still have actually, it's just, you know, it takes forever to produce a video when I was doing all those videos. So I was, so I got this anyways, it's just a piece of shit. So I, this is like the third factory reset. I've had Apple, the technicians come on, they, you know, gone all through my computer. Oh yeah. And at the end of the day, they always go, Oh, just factory reset it. Well, fuck, you know? So anyways, yeah. I factory reset it and I lost a whole bunch of podcasts I had ready to go. Yours, Matt Jordan's a couple other ones. Yeah. That sounds annoying, man. That is. Yeah. It's totally a pain in the ass. And then the other thing is that I've decided to go, 
you know, uh, more, not, not exclusively, but more with Zoom discussions rather than the double enders. The double enders is where I send someone a, a kit you know, and for so, and I appreciate you getting that mic because that really does help. But, uh, you know, I found after doing a few Zooms that it's really the audio quality, depending on where the person is, is pretty good. Like it's not worth, you know, and, and with the double enders, just moving the kits around and getting to the people with UPS and all that, it was just a drag. So it was just slowing things down. I just wasn't, it was, you know, putting up, it was just slowing shit down and it was, I was finding other things to do, but now that I've, I'm back in, I've done, I'm doing like two or three a week right now. So it's pretty cool. Nice. So anyways, it's yeah, all good. Yeah. So how are you? Good. Yeah. Good. You know, good. Um, started coaching again, start of a new year here, a uh, new academic year. So things are looking promising. Yeah. So really why don't you moment. explain to people what you're doing? I mean, um, you are a, uh, you're a coach in Loughborough. Where, that's right. where I used to work for UKA. Um, that's how I, so we got connected. Um, why don't we just, just, you know, let's talk about what you're coaching, the level at which you're coaching, what your coaching experience is. Let's do that. Let's do it. So I actually come from a background of coaching football or coaching soccer, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, so at university, I spent my summers coaching football through high school, through college, coach football, um, play football. That was my first love. And, you know, that was something that led to me getting involved with coaching. Um, worked in football for like four or five years, worked, you know, Premier League team. And then I went to work for the FA. So the national governing body for football here in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and then started working in Loughborough 2017. Um, so I'm a physical therapist by trade or physiotherapist, however you want to call it, and became more and more interested in like the performance end of the spectrum, like really got a lot of, you know, a lot of passion for how athletes move and, and how we can influence that and different aspects of training methodologies and philosophies and all the rest of it. And so uh, beginning of last year, so 2020 was when I started coaching. Um, so started coaching a sprints group, still coach that group now. So we've got um, four with two looking to join. So six athletes at the moment uh, from a hundred up to 400 meters ranging from like 11, two to 22 low, 21 high for the 200. So a good mix, you know, a good group. Um, and they're really at what level? They're at like the uni level there yeah so yeah so they're all between the ages of 18 to 21 okay. um so very much at the start of their careers and it's good you know because i want to see i like to think about athletes as as not just developing while they're here at loughborough but like how can we develop them as senior athletes as well because mm. i think sometimes we get so caught up in like trying to get to the next season or to the next year at that time here at Loughborough, like we try and, well, I try and think beyond that. So what are some of the things that we can do with them now that, you know, might manifest in three or four years, you know? So there's certain neuromuscular qualities, like, you know, there's, there's one guy who's a really strong, powerful guy, but doesn't really apply force very quickly. And that might be like, you know, a few years before we see that manifest. So mm -hmm. it's, I enjoy like finding that and uh, trying to solve that puzzle and, mm -hmm. you know, just discovering ways in which we can influence these athletes. I think that's fascinating. Um, so, so then what's the, um, what's the basic training experience of these, 
of these athletes, generally speaking? Did they did they did they sprint in high school, or they they're just sort of walk-ons at at Loughborough or what? And and I think we should say, you know, Loughborough Loughborough is a very intense competitive program within the within the British university system, right? I mean, it's like it's a it's a big program that. Uh, anyways, go ahead. Yeah. So to put that into context, so um, for British universities, which is the like NCAA equivalent in the UK, we've like Loughborough have won that. Yeah, there we go. We've won that for like forty years straight across sports. Um, so there's a lot of prestige around that, and there's a lot of um, I wouldn't say pressure, but we have like expectations and, and standards mm-hmm. that need to be met, um, yeah. which drives that program, right? So that becomes a it feeds down into the athletics program and yeah so there is a competitiveness there and you know it comes with its challenges in terms of you know we want to be inter-competitive as a university like between other universities but sometimes that can become a little bit like intra-competitive between coaches sometimes which has its has its challenges but yeah we you know that's something that is faced in a lot of different programs I'm assuming. So that's mm-hmm. something that we try to try to learn from, but yeah, it, it's generally. Yeah, I don't good. know if there's a lot of coaches in the NCAA. I don't think there's too many situations where there, I mean, in fact, I can't think of one where you would have more than one coach in an event group, you know, unless yeah, maybe yeah. the head coach coaching crossed over with some of the responsibilities of some of the assistant coach, but I don't, wouldn't even see that being a problem usually. So there, I don't think they have that issue, but maybe in Britain they do. And they would in Canada. I know some places in Canada where you would, you know, because it's the Canadian system is very much like the British one, right? It's very much a club system that, yeah. you know, and the, and the two university and club systems kind of overlap and in terms of coaching and stuff, whereas here. It's, yeah. There is no club system here, really. But anyway, yeah. Go on. So yeah, so we've we've talked about this before around you know it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to learn from coaches that are not necessarily in your event group. So you know we've talked about them before, like okay, I want to improve the grand contact times of my athlete. Okay, I've got a jumps coach twenty feet away, mm-hmm. whose primary driver in his event group is to reduce ground contact times or right. to look how reactive you are from the ground. So what can I learn from that person? Um, and it's fascinating in terms of like how sometimes that's done, but more often than not, it isn't done. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm baffled by why that doesn't happen, but mm-hmm. I try to be open and, and really humble in that I can learn from, from yeah, everyone. Well, right? One of, the, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to do this, however many this turns out to be series with you is because you kind of come into it with an open mind, like, you know, and you're coming at it with, um, you know, not a lot of preconceived notions about how to coach your event or, you know, and I think that's kind of good in a lot of ways. Right. And, um, I think it'll, I think with this probably lead to some different discussions than what might I'm, you know, we might have or different anyways, um, than I might have with someone else. So, so where, so where do you want to go here? We didn't, we didn't plan any of this. Uh, I never plan. I usually don't plan too much with these. And even when I do, I don't follow it. So, so what did we talk about before that we, I mean, I, I assume you don't want to go over and rehash any of that, but I forgot what we talked about. I don't know. Yeah. I think off the top of my head, we talked about, um, some of the challenges, challenges that you face as a younger coach, 
right. um, and how you navigated that early part of your career. Hey, um, hey, did you listen to the podcast with Dan? I haven't yet. I haven't yet, but it's on my list. Okay. All right. All right. That, that goes over a lot of the challenges I went through as a young coach. But anyways, that's a different topic. So go ahead. Keep okay. Um, yeah. And just, and I often get, well, we live in an age of like so much content everywhere, right? And there's so much I could, you know, I've got, probably got access to a lot of different coaching methodologies where, you know, Whereas like maybe 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. And I can probably see a, a whole load of resources around like what I could be doing with my athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's often the case of, well, that's great, but you know, where's the context in that? And, and how do I apply that for the athlete's benefit? And I think it's, you know, it's trying to sift through that and, and figure out what is actually valuable and how can that apply to, to my athletes and using the problems that I that I, fi- I find with the athletes first and then going into that content and those resources as an answer, if that makes sense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. No, totally. You know what? It's interesting you say that because, like I said, I'm back into doing a lot of recordings and conversations with people. And last night I did one with Dale Stevo, Dale Stevenston. Um, I don't know if you know who that is. He's the national throws coach for uh, New Zealand. Uh, brilliant dude, right? Um, and he's one of these guys. Oh, like that conversation was amazing. Like it was, it was one of the best ones I've ever had. Um, very deep dive into methodology. And what was really interesting about it, and the reason why I bring it up now is because his the method, the method, the system that he uses with his thrower. So he coaches Tom Walls two-time mm-hmm. Olympic bronze medalist, world champion outdoors, world champion indoors, and on and on. Twenty-two ninety thrower, you know, like, anyway. So right? Yeah, so he coaches Walsh, and um, Walsh, um, you know, so we were going through that through his methodology, and I, and I knew nothing about it going into it. And it's about as far away from Bondershuk as you can get. Right. Like, I mean, it really is. So he, and, but it's a fabulous program, right? Like it, you know, um, it just briefly, it, it works off of this. He he'll have a, a cycle that he's in with his athletes. He'll have it, you know, whatever content is in there, whatever exercises he, he's working on. And he's continuing continually monitoring um, a four-day average. So it's a four-day rolling average of how far Tom throw or any of his throwers throw with any given implement, right? And then what he, but the fourth day is the day that he's training that day. Right. So in other words, if, and I use this example in the, when I was asking him, so, so, okay, so it's, it's Wednesday morning. And I, and I thought, okay, so he's going to base what he does in that workout based upon the, what I thought was the four workouts before, but it's not, it's actually the three workouts before and the Wednesday morning throwing session. Cause they throw or whatever afternoon, doesn't matter. Wednesday's throwing session after Wednesday's throwing session, he looks at the average and then he comes up with this. He's got this four, I think it's four or five zone scale, right? Which is 
I think it's, yeah, it is five. I think it's one to five and five being the highest, the best, like it's rock and everything's great. One being, okay, we're not even going to go do anything after throwing. Okay. And they all, and two, three, four, and five all basically align with the force velocity curve. So if it's, if it's five, they'll go and they'll do fast eccentrics. If it's four, it'll be uh, max strength. If it's three, it'll be, you know, somewhere uh, speed strength, you know, lower down. And I just thought it was, it's an absolutely uh, fascinating approach, right? Um, but it's, you know, but it means everything is changing every single day. And you can't argue with the guy's success, right? Mm. But, you know, thinking about what what we do with the Bonnetrek system and then thinking of, and then listening to that, if you're a young coach, like what the hell? Like, you know, like you've got, okay, well, you got Bonnetrek yeah, yeah. on one hand, you got Tom Walsh on the other. They're completely different. Like what the fuck? Like, how do you, like you know, like how do you sort that? Right. It's yeah, not, it's 100%. not easy. And mm. so, whereas back in my day, before I even met Bonnerchuk, especially, um, you know, it was like, it was pretty standard, right? Like there weren't a lot of options out there. Not, not like there are now, right? Like you just basically, everybody kind of did the same thing. It was like, you know, threw three times a week, lifted three times a week. That's sort of, you know, did the same basic exercise for the most part. There are some variation there. And then, you know, and then since then people started to add more throwing sessions and, you know, uh, and all of that and, and break things up a little more in some cases anyway. So, but I was just like, you know, if you, you know, if you were to enter coaching right now as a young coach, like, basically you, well, you're, you're more, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put you in that category, but you know, like if you're trying to figure out how do I put together a program and you've got those two extremes out there and everything in between, that's not easy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's certainly parallels when it comes to what I try and do. And I think the best way I can describe it is, is by hypothesizing. So figuring out, okay, so I've read, you know, and I've seen or um, other programs have, let's say like acceleration work, like from week two in a, a beginning of a, of, a, of a program, let's use that as a broad starting point. Well, I might not know like the exact amount or specific programming of that for every individual athlete, but you've got to start somewhere, right? So it's okay. We're going to use the next six weeks as an opportunity to figure out how this person responds to that stimulus. Okay. And then, okay, let's use some sort of measuring device or like a marker as a, I don't know, a naught to 20, uh, get the timing gates and see what sort of times they were running. Let's expose them to this acceleration stimulus for the next six weeks. And then let's reevaluate that. And then what does that show us and how, and how can we learn from that? And then that can inform or, or steer the next block or give us an insight in terms of how we could program mm -hmm. similar sort of stimuluses moving forward. So there's very well, much a, a trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and that's what we do in the Bonner truck system. We just don't do mm. any change within that, within that block if you want to call it that, uh, that mm. PDSF is what we call it, but you know, that can be a long time, right? Like if yeah, you're a sprinter, yeah. you may only get four of those three or four of those in a year, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit more. So, whereas a thrower might have five or six or seven. So if you screw one up, you know, you don't, you 
you've you know taken a big chunk of time out there right so yeah um or you've wasted and a big chunk of time go ahead yeah and it's never as simple as like a equals b so if we do more acceleration then that we're going to get faster you know there's other components that could be contributing to that variable so mm. let's say you know the, the the stuff we're doing in the gym the neuromuscular work could be contributing or the technical aspect could be could be a factor as well so it's never that easy i'm not saying it's like a, you know just that that type of stimulus has that singular effect but it certainly is like a starting point in terms of okay that is a good response for that athlete and again that's where another layer of complexity comes in terms of that might not work for another athlete so you've got to think about it again for someone else. And it's yeah, like, yeah, it's plus, it's plus you also have to consider delayed onset of, yeah, you know, like you got to look at things over an average and that's why I'm sure I didn't ask him this, but I'm sure that's why Steve-O uses a four day rolling average, right. As opposed to not just reacting to the day before. I think it's, fucking brilliant what he's doing i i was mm. like really impressed with it but here's what i would say to and i don't mean to steer you off course here but here's you know like what well let me ask you like what would you do if you were like let's just translate let's just say it, it, he he's not a throws coach he's a sprint coach and you know within the the confines of of a sprint micro that's his approach right and then you've got with it, you know, same idea with the bonder check thing, right? Where there's no change. What, how would you approach as a younger coach? How would you approach coming across those two? And what would you do about it? Cause I, cause I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a good question. So, so you're, you're, you're presented with these two, out, you know, proven methods that are absolutely distinct and different mm. yeah what do you do so, i would start by looking at who has responded to those programs so what are the types of athletes that have performed well from those programs are there any similarities from the athletes i'm coaching to those athletes so you know there might be a lot of differences with an athlete who's responded well to a bondage program so might opt for the other for example mm -hmm. um I, and I, I was trying to kind of putting you on the spot here. I know because, <laughs> yeah. because we do, we don't, but that's, that's the beauty of the conversation, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also try to further understand like, why is that program successful? So what are the things that make it successful? Right. So, you Which know, program. Well, either. So right. both. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't want to go into there with my own bias and think, actually there's 10 athletes that have done really well there but two on that program. Yeah. So that one must be better. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's not, not necessarily the case. Oh, so absolutely. Because I mean, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, don't forget, you know, that's another, that's another top that, that could steer us into another topic, which I think is really important, but you know, don't forget this guy is coaching in a country of like 5 million people completely mm. isolated. He's got, three or four athletes in a stable that are all in the top handful of the, they're medalists. They're, you know, yeah. like two of them, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, Val Adams has only been with him for a year, but still she's, you know, she's at the tail end of her career. Um, she, I, I'm assuming, cause I know she's well in well into her thirties, but she's still, she's still 
highly competitive at the top level. He's got Walsh, who's, you know, just won Olympic bronze, right? So the guy's doing something right, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've had some, I actually worked, well, previously worked and, and continued to be in contact with um, the guys at Athletics New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I've had some good shorts good talks with um scott goodman and steve willis mm. and people like that because i find that so interesting like you said in a population of of five million if you get a handful of talented athletes that you know when will the next crop of talented athletes come like when will they appear like you've got a small population size in the uk you could have that same amount of talented athletes and the next year you get the exact same because of the size of the population, right? It's just a density factor. Mm -hmm. So I'm fascinated to figure out how those guys make the most and really take a lot of time and and thought in terms of how they develop athletes. I think that's smart, you know, and I always say when you're, you know, and and maybe we can get to that in a sec, which is, and hold this thought because I'll forget. It'll be, how do you evaluate good programs, right? Like what, what defines a good program? Let's do that. But before that, you want to hear my answer? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this is what fine. I would do. If I was a young coach, look, or what I hope I would do, um, I I would look for the similarities. Like what's, yeah, what's, what's, yeah. what's common between the two? The, you know, they're absolutely distinct in a lot of ways, right? How they, how they apply, how they deal with adaptation is totally different, okay? That's fine, right? But here's what's similar after after talking to him. Number one, we both use measurables, daily measurables to assess training and we act upon it. The only difference in the bonder check system is we wait until we act upon it. We wait and you know, whereas he is adjusting on the fly it at the moment, right? I can't tell you which is better, but I could tell you that we're both doing that, right? That's number one. Number two, they throw every they throw every day, so they're specific or almost every day. I think, I, I, in fact, I think they do throw every session. Okay, so boom, there's a there's a principle that we've been preaching, you know this. Uh, you know, and, and when people talk about the bonnet truck system and, you know, Oh my God, you know, they get wrapped up in these numbers, right. About, you know, we throw 10 times a week. It's not that it's, it's, but we do throow every day. We do, we throw all the time because it's a fucking priority, right? That's number mm-hmm. two. So he, he's the same number three. And this is a big one that a lot of people don't, I don't think they appreciate it as much. And him and I talked about it. He, he talked about it more than I did, but, uh, and the Germans were big on this. And I think the Germans were the big initial proponents, at least as far as I understand, um, is he really believes in doing in, in that, Oh God, what was the word he used? Um, a marriage between the technical and the physical to the, you know, and I said to him, well, give me some examples and, you know, basically you do them together, right? You do them tight. Like, you know, most days they throw, they're doing the special exercises and lifts after, right? They're not, so they're doing everything, you know, so that's, that's that, that's another one. And then I guess related to that, but you could argue is another thing is that they, you know, they break everything up into smaller components and do it more often, but that's kind of a, uh, that kind of addresses the, the other, some of the other points I made about similarities. So those are the 
those are the right off the top of my head. Those are the similarities that I see between what he's doing and what we're doing, like the bonder truck system. I don't say what I'm doing, but the bonder truck system. And so that's where I would start. Right. Like, yeah, that's, you know, so would you, um, sorry, quick question. Would you change or would that influence your programming? Having learned that from that other yeah. program? Totally. So I mean, dude, I was up at 4 a.m. this morning because I started thinking about it. So I started thinking about how my, how, you know, I like, I mean, I really got to think about it. Right. But I like mm. this. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know how I would, if I'm mm -hmm. going to implement that in the bonder truck system, it's going to have to be implemented across a longer time frame because it's just, it's just, antithetical to the to the system right and i i trust in the system i use and now having said that bonner truck will tell you he i've heard him he said this to me many times he says you know coach has to change his system every five years and so you know for an athlete you've had working with the you know so let's say you know i'm coaching tom walsh a, a clone of tom walsh and he's coaching the tom walsh Maybe we should just switch programs, right? He should be doing Bonner Chuck with Walsh right now. And I should be doing his program with my Walsh because, because it's maybe, you know, uh, sometimes the change is more important than the actual system itself, right? Which is what Bonner Chuck says, right? Because you, because the athlete adapts on all these different levels, right? You're adapting on the, on the, on the, on the immediate present level. Uh, and then you're, you're, I, sorry, that was a poor choice of terms there, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And then they adapt across the bigger level, right? The, the, the level of the system. If you do the same system year in, year out, year in, year out, they will adapt to it because you will eventually lose what the freshness, the, the, the stimulus in it. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing with a bonded truck system is you're uh, every single time that you're start, that the athlete comes into peak condition, you, whether you go into maintenance or whether you go into start a new development cycle, you got to come up with new exercises because if you don't, they're going to start going down. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, so yeah. that's, that's that, but. And that's, that's an interesting point because that's something we, that I find here is that, you know, these are athletes that are coming to university for the first time. And as a result of that, that we're having a new program, that we're having a new coach and a new program. So yes, you see you know, an immediate improvement in their times or in their development, but is that based on the fact that it's a new stimulus, you know, they haven't had exposure to that in their previous, you know, their previous programs, for example. So one of the first things I asked my athletes is, what have you tell me about your previous training program? What have you done? What have you not done? What did your coach, you know, what was his like way of working and, and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what these guys have had exposure to. And then you can say, actually, right. There's something that's glaringly obviously missing here, or we can develop things that you haven't had the exposure to in the past. And that just then allows you to have a lot more of a thorough understanding of this athlete's background and mm -hmm. allows you to be more meticulous in how you approach mm -hmm. that methodology then yeah and it, and it you know i mean so if you have two let's say you have two athletes this is this is one other thing i would add to that but it's very similar to what you're talking about and i, I know you and i've talked about this before but uh, to one of the the lost recordings that someone <laughs> will dig up in 100 years from now go holy 
fuck, this is awesome. So Indiana Jones film. Yeah, exactly. No, anyways, yeah. um, it, it's um, you know, the other thing, like, let's say you have two athletes. Hey, don't forget what I said. The next topic should be about finding, you know, uh, evaluating oh, good coaching. Okay, I've written um, it down. It's fine. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. So you're the guy running this thing, not me, right? So anyway, <laughs> so anyways, anyway. What the hell were we talking about? Oh yeah. So, so, so let's say that you have two athletes that come into your program first years or whatever they are. Right. And one of them's been good or bad programming doesn't, uh, I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but let's just not worry about it. But the, you know, kids been sprinting consistently since he was 13 and the other one hasn't been. And has done no real formal training, but got a shit ton of talent. Now, maybe, you know, the fact that he's starting at 18 or 19, maybe he's missed the boat a little bit. I don't know. I mean, that let's, let's say that doesn't matter. Let's just say for argument's sake, you have these two athletes. We're going to have, you know, the first athlete is that program. Well, they may not look also so different, but how you get to, programming those two athletes they are two totally different they're two totally different considerations because one athlete has got far less trainability far less reserve left in terms mm -hmm. of adaptation than the other one the other one has i mean you can do almost bloody anything really i mean you know seriously honestly right like even yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean you're good you know within reason right like you're you know you're gonna put the kid into a sprint program and you're gonna do it well and you got to make proper choices there i don't mean to belittle um hmm. any decision making that you would have with with an athlete like that but the reality is is that they're gonna have i mean you know you're not an idiot that's why i'm talking to you so you know it, the kid's gonna have a great year he's gonna have a great mm -hmm. year he's gonna yeah, he's, yeah. he or she is gonna start off they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get better every race and then you know and a lot of that will have to do with your programming and decision-making, but a lot of it will have to do with the fact that the, 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 that system that in that athlete, they're, they're like a sponge. Just about anything's going to work. It's like working with a 12 or 14 year old, right? Whereas the other one has tapped out on all these different levels. So they've tapped out maybe, you know, I'm, and I'm saying that for argument's sake, but let's say, you know, the athletes been lifting, seriously for a long time and these would be errors okay like heavy lifting since they were younger not just because of the injury factor but because you are starting to eat, eat away at the reserve that the coach that you harvey that gets them at 1920 is going to have to deal with so you're going to have to look under rocks a hell of a lot more than you are with the other one like you're you're it's good that you know and that's that's what the that's where a lot of ncaa coaches find themselves that's a, that's you know those guys uh, you know the ncaa coaches especially ones at the lower levels to some degree because maybe that they don't get the huge talent right that maybe some some of the other ones get, I mean, that's a tough thing, man. That's, yeah. that's hard to yeah. coach that it's the damn path has, you know, I forget about injuries. We haven't even talked about injuries, right? Let's say mm. athlete one is coming to you with a bag of injuries, right? So yeah. damn path Stu, you know, people like that, there's others, but those are the two guys I know the best, but they, um, they, I mean, Dan is, uh, Dan has made a career 
out of dealing with people like that because that yeah. is real problem solving dealing with an athlete like that oh yeah 100 i think that, i think you've hit the nail on the head there it's it's problem solving right it, it begins with asking the right questions and you know for some you know for some athletes so you let's say two athletes have won 11 seconds well what's gone into that and like you say someone might have had like four years of continuous training and someone's done like six months of it and has responded well to that so you create this profile and you create this understanding of an athlete but i think to really get good at you know solving that problem you've got to ask the right questions right you've got to know like what has gone into it and and how they've responded it begins with conversations with the athlete and, and with their previous coach and you know it, you know we talked around before like pay other sports you know we've what we've got a guy who's had um some uh some playing time in like in american football so well what you guys call football but we call american football and you know that's translated so much in terms of how he accelerates and, and all the rest of it you can see that but then technically really really poor so it just creates this like layer of understanding and and that's then so valuable to inform your programming mm-hmm. because somewhat sometimes you might have to almost work in like negative capability and almost like, re- like reverse engineer what they've done previously because you know that it's either ineffective or inefficient whatever that might be mm-hmm. others you just got to get the basics in because they haven't been like mm-hmm programmed to the level that needs they need to do in order to have that long sustained career in the sport mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah and, it, yeah, and, and that's, to, you know like athlete number two in our example they're not they're very easy in some ways they're not so easy in other ways because yeah yeah the, you know if they're very raw well then you got the issue of loading that you're you know you don't want to hurt yeah. them over because they're they're probably their tissue tolerance is not great. So you're gonna have to deal with that. Um, but the the difference in terms of decision making, and even more importantly, the feedback you're going to get in terms of results, and how that confirms your decision making is going to be different. Because just about everything you're going to do with athlete two, the raw guy, you're, you know, you're going to think you're a genius, right? Like, cause everything you do is that they're just going to yeah, get yeah. stronger, more powerful. They're going to get faster. But how do you know it was the decision you made those little decisions? And how do you know there weren't 18 other decisions that could have been made that we would have gotten the, the same result or even more. Right. Yeah. Whereas, and I'm not being, I'm not, again, I'm not belittling it at all. But you don't know that, and you need to understand that, right? You know, and but over time, through a career, you you start you see things, right? And you see trends, and so you start to piece all that together. When you're a young coach, you don't have that experience to draw from, right? But mm-hmm. athlete one, <laughs> yeah, they're you know out of twenty possible decisions that you might make on one given issue, probably one or two is going to be right. And you've got, you know, and the other 18 aren't going to be, are not going to be right. Right. And so yeah, that's yeah. hard. That's, that's, like I said, that's, that is guru coaching, man. I, that's a stupid term to use, but you know what I mean? That's, that's, yeah. that's not easy. That's what guys like Raina Ryder do like just fucking outstandingly. Right. I mean that then, but that, these are guys that are like, you know, have developed 
a sense and an eye and an education that it, it, throughout years and years of practice and they and they they are constantly doing this mm. you know point i'm pointing my finger to myself right you know they they are constantly looking at their programming and and saying you know is it working is it working is it working you know and there's no you know so yeah. anyways i want to make that let's let's move on to the let's move on to this other thing we were talking we were going to talk about what the hell is it again i forget oh yeah so, so how are we evaluating defining good programs well how do you do it <laughs> i mean ser seriously i mean I, yeah, I, mean, I mean this is very much related to what we just talked about or what we initially started talking about how do you what programs okay of all these programs out there whether they're you know there's online courses that teach it or not how mm. do you how do you choose what not to, i mean and it's not it doesn't have to be a decision where you say oh i'm going to follow that person what that mm. person does that, but how do you wade through all of that in terms of looking at successful coaches and determining you know okay well what's what what does that coach have to offer me as you know and and, and you know what you know like how do you sip that yeah yeah um i start by looking at the approaches of quote-unquote successful sprint coaches so you damn paths of the world you stream at millen you know we work with with benke here at, at loughborough and i try to understand what are the commonalities in those programs what do they all have yeah but before we go there how do you determine if they're successful <laughs> seriously i mean how, yeah, no, how do you, i mean because that's the starting point right like yeah. how do you know okay so you have okay there are factors right you know so so i'd say they're a factor you know hmm. like i mean there's a ton of coaches out there that produce like fucking you know, but they're all yeah. on crank. So do, do you throw all that information out or do you, or is there stuff you want to, you know, is, is there stuff still there that are, that is worthwhile? What about environment? Okay. I mean, what, what about environment? So, you know, um, a coach that it has coached their entire career with access to good facilities in a warm weather environment, that's a massive, massive, mm uh advantage to a coach that doesn't have either of those things what about support what about you know bondertruck told me i've told this story a hundred times but bondertruck told me in the 18 years that he was the soviet head coach in the hammer they got i think he said the top 50 athletes and coaches across the soviet union and from i think he said october to april they would be in training camp three weeks of every month. So essentially throughout from October to April, they would go away for three weeks. It was either, he said it was either like the met somewhere on the Mediterranean, North Africa, there was one uh, middle East. No, it was mainly those two places. I think Italy was one of them. Um, uh, the, the warm area, the Southern warm areas of Russia or the Soviet union, I guess, you know, um, they would, they would rotate these places. Well, if you have that kind of support, how can you screw that up? Right? Like, like it's very hard. Right. And then, okay. And then let's talent, talent pool. Right. So look at yeah. the U S with the talent pool that they have here. It's fucking incredible. 
it's incredible. It's not though. I don't think I. I don't think I would say that is the best place to be. The best place to be, in my opinion, is London. London is probably the best talent pool on the planet overall. For you know, because it's such a big city with such a diverse population, right? That mm -hmm. it's like, and and the UK in general is really good because you know you have you have double the population of Canada on an island that is like a third of the size of the province that I come from of which there are 10 in Canada right you know what i mean and a fairly moderate climate so before you say okay well you know i'm going to follow these successful coaches you you have to factor those things in you don't you know which is not to say that anybody who has all of those isn't you know yeah. you know it isn't successful if they've been successful for year after year after year after year they're obviously doing something right but yeah you know so yeah i i should probably prelude what i said by saying that i, I try and look at the athletes that have developed consistently under a coach or have sustained success in the sport under a coach and i try and figure out okay who are they coached by? Who are these athletes that are progressing year on year and have obviously been the subject of good coaching input and a good philosophy in order to make that happen? And okay, those are the people that are doing what I would define as effective coaching, whatever that might mean. Um, because it's it's the sustained development and the sustained success on a consistent basis for me that I would start by saying that is for me an effective coach that's, oh, that's contributed sustain, to that you, you mean improvement in an athlete's form over the long term and results right okay yeah okay so let's okay let me challenge you on that then okay <laughs> seriously okay. I'm gonna go ahead okay so i just talked about two big ones facilities of warm weather of which the americans yeah. rule okay but you could also argue that the way the restrictions in the NCAA have evolved, that they're actually in a lot of ways at a disadvantage, right? Because, I mean, Harvey, you would, you would not believe it. Like I've been down here two years now and I knew a bit of this before, of course, but when I talk to some of the NCAA coaches in the college, like the restrictions they have, number one, here's, listen to this. They are, I mean, I've talked to a number of throws coaches lately who have no input. Uh, maybe that's a bit strong of a word, but they do not write the, the strength programs for their throwers. They are, they are, it's mandated that the strength and conditioning coach does that. And I guess, I, I guess it's because of liability, I guess, you know, the NCAA thinks they're all too stupid to write their own fucking programs, which is when we both know that a world that I, I could name 10 coaches in the NCAA throws coaches that would be able to school just about any S and C coach. I know on how to, on how to implement a strength program properly with, with at least a thrower, if not someone in another sport. Right. But these are issues that these guys have to deal with and they're, and they only have the athletes usually for, for four years at, at, at most, it's not easy, man. It's so, so mm. my point is that, you know, there are coaches operating within those restrictions that may be doing really good work that you and I have never heard of. 
right? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and you know, like I look at a guy like Benke, right? That has, you know, he's coached in a number of different environments. Fuck, it doesn't matter where that guy is, he he's always steadily producing, and his athletes look good. Right. You know what I mean? They, they compete at the right time. They compete well at the right times. Technically they look good. He's very well schooled. Um, you know, um, not that that, not that anyone has to be able to give a good lecture on what they coach to, to qualify as a good coach. Certainly not, but you know, at least it's out there and we know kind of what's in his head. Right. Yeah, Actually yeah. he, he'd be a good interview. I, I should get him on, but, um, you know, so, and I hate to dominate this and keep, but I mean, these, you know, before I'm just trying to, you know, we, this is me talking to you and it's like, yeah, before yeah. we go on with this, like, you got to factor this shit in because you, you, uh, and of course you can't, you can't objectively account for all these things, but you do got to think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's why it's, it's, it's sometimes challenging to find, someone to like learn from as, as like a mentor because you know how do you judge the success of that coach and i know we're going a little bit around in circles here so I'll, I'll keep this bit brief but it's figuring out like okay what are the things that good coaches do like how do they program how do they communicate what are their you know what's their underpinning principles in terms of the adaptations that they want to see and how do they program that and and that's for me like the bit that I find quite difficult in terms of figuring out who are the ones that I've just met through circumstance. Cause I work with them and, and, you know, I see them on a day-to-day basis versus the ones that actually you're, you know, in the middle of nowhere and you're doing great things. And, you know, I just haven't come across the work you've done mm-hmm. because obviously you haven't, I haven't, you know, we, you know, we don't cross, um, we don't live in the same circle. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I find that interesting because, and this is the thing, right? So I look at, I look at the start line of, of any race and I, I see if there's nine athletes lined up, I'd say eight or nine from different programs and from different coaches. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's never one way of doing it. So mm-hmm. that's the beauty of coaching. I think I, and that's why I really enjoy it is because it's that problem solving process. Yeah, it's totally. that figuring out of, yeah. uh, okay, how yeah. can I get the best from this athlete? Even though we know so, that there's a lot so some- to know that we don't know. And it's still figuring out what, we could know if that makes sense and just trying to just problem solve that. And, you know, there's, there's a thousand things that we could do, but how do we figure out what's right and what are the one or two things that we could be doing for the benefit of our athlete. And then that obviously changes for the, for the other athletes that we work with. And sometimes that can be, you know, quite overwhelming. I'll be honest. Like I sometimes find that quite difficult when mm. I'm like, man, there's so much to know here, but mm. and the majority of cases, it's quite an exciting prospect to be able to figure this stuff out and, mm. and go down that, that route of problem solving. Yeah, totally. And you know, uh, which leads me, okay. In, into my next point, which is, did I, did I list talent <laughs> on my list of um, factors? So if you're Martin, yeah. okay, if you're a coach in, in London at Lee Valley, I mean, you know, you have access to a talent pool, however you get it, you know, that very few people have, right? And, yeah, yeah. And not not using anyone there as an example, but I've seen other places like I mean, where you know, coaches that have a lot of these things you know, the good weather, the good, and they earned it. They got there through coaching chops. Don't, that has to be said too. Um, you know, but a lot of them, uh, you know, have programs that are 
Yeah, maybe archaic a bit, very heavy in the loading sense, uh, structured, but not, you know, but, but really it's about who can survive in it and the ones that survive yeah, do yeah. well, right? Like Poliquin used to call it the Charles, the late Charles Poliquin used to call it the eggs in the brown paper bag method of talent ID where you throw, put five eggs into a bag or whatever number into a brown paper bag, you throw it against the wall. And the one that doesn't break is your, is your talent, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to factor that in too, because that's, that's an issue. Now there are lots of young coaches like you who aren't like you. And I'm not saying good or that's good or bad. They, they don't care about any of that stuff, what they care about. They just want to get out there, have fun, be around athletes, and they'll find a mentor that's like that, right? They'll find mm -hmm. a mentor that's, you know, draws that has the same sort of, you know, it's really more, it's more of a, you know, coaching to them is more of a, you know, I mean, all this worry about cycles and loading and all that's bullshit you just you know just get your you know just just talk your way into the best talent and yeah. you know and run them through and and have a great personality and and you'll do really really well i mean i don't i don't you know it's not uh i i don't put a judgment on that i just i think it's um you know, it's just this way, that's the way it is. So they, that coach yeah, yeah. will mentor probably a coach. It's like that, because if you're a young coach, you go to a coach like that and you start asking them some of the complex questions that you've thrown at me, they'll look at you and go, what the fuck are you talking Listen, kid, let me tell you something. You know, this is how you do it. You know, those idiots, they worry too much about the, about the minutia. They worry, they probably wouldn't use that word. And they, uh, you know, they, they worry too much about the, uh, you know, the small stuff. And really this is all about, you know, and they'll use a lot of global terms to describe, mm. you know, and that's fuck dude. That's a way to do it too. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think people ask like, oh, what have you done? Like, what are the things that have gone into your program? So what are the sessions that you've set? And I think that provides a superficial understanding of that program. Mm -hmm. And if that is your plan A and that doesn't work, then then what's your plan B if, if you don't have that level of understanding? Because for me, I'm just trying to figure out like what is the thinking that goes behind these programs? What are the reasons why these things are in the program? And that allows me to understand it on a deeper level, which then allows me to just program that better for the athletes that I work with. So again, it, it's, it's, it's asking the different types of questions that can give you that level of understanding rather than just like, okay, what are the sessions that go into that? Or like, what is the cycle that you're doing? Because that just gives you, you know, such a superficial look at it mm -hmm. rather yeah. than like the reasoning and the actual, like, okay, this is a thought process. So this is what mm -hmm. I know about that. Actually, I don't know what the adaptation is for, you know, what are the things that underpin max velocity that I don't know? And, you know, why is that in that program when it's not in mine? So again, it, it, for me, it's just, it's, it's a process of discovery and, and that's probably where I'm at with it at the moment is like, because of the fact that I've only been coaching a year that, well, athletics a year, but you know, it, it's constantly trying to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just find it, I just think it's interesting. A guy like you, to me, you know, I, I, I'm interested in how you filter all of that, right? Because it's, you know, it's not easy, man. Like, it's really, it's really not easy. But at the same time, too, you know, you gotta, you gotta make decisions, you gotta move forward, you gotta put something yeah, together, yeah. and you gotta go, and you can't be worrying all the time about this stuff. Yeah. But it, but it does, 
you know, um, so I think so, for so me- what do you think the things are the common, like what are the, some of the common factors and reg- outside of successful athletes? What, what, what are some of the things that you see in a nutshell that, you know, if you had to give me two or three bullet points, what would they be in terms of how, how you, how you choose a coach that you are going to say, reach out to and ask about something? I'd say having, so for me, coaching an athlete is taking an athlete from A to B. Mm-hmm. So B being like, we want to run a certain time on this date and in X amount of time. And coach A, sorry, point A is obviously where they are now and and, and the person that is in front of you. For me, the, the, the good coaches that I've seen do this well are the ones that really understand where they are now, what that athlete is in front of them. Like a really thorough understanding of how they move, what are their neuromuscular qualities, how do they perform in certain competitions, what's their psychological profile in terms of do they have a performance mindset or are there th- certain things that could contribute to that. And it's that depth of understanding and that I think you and Stu talked about that systems approach and not just looking at things in isolation, but looking at things across a varied, like varied factors and, and, and contributing yeah, like, factors that go into that. Like, yeah, seeing yeah, exactly. the forest, not just the trees. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I also think understanding the determinants of the event that that person's training for as well. So what are the demands of the competition that we're trying to do well in, or what are the demands of, you know, if we're looking three or four years down the line, what are the qualities that are in athletes have in common when it comes to competitions at a senior level and how the, can we almost like reverse engineer that of the event right like yeah exactly um and you know what does it t- what time does it take to to do a certain you know qualification into this next round for this competition um and for me it, that then informs so much in terms of what you do on a, on a day-to-day basis because you have like the two different ends of like the spectrum right in terms of where you are now and where you're trying to get to so I know you asked me to keep it brief, but I think for no, me, no, no, that, no. those are the two things. I know, no, no, yeah, yeah. I just wanted, uh, I just, you know, just, I just wanted them separated, which you did, so that's good. Yeah, and I think. Else? Yeah, I mean, obviously, so, there's some big red flags, right? Injuries. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, if uh, if a coach has uh, yeah. a stable of ten sprinters, and and at any one time, only two of them are able to compete on a regular basis, and they may be at a high, high, high level, but the other eight are, that's a pretty extreme example, but let's say the other eight are in having some form of, you know, they're in some form of disrepair, let's call it. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a red flag to me. Like, you know what I mean? That's yeah. telling me that, that there's, you know, yeah, I think, mean, I think you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can't draw any good from what the coach is doing, but it. Yeah. But I say it's that the, the repeated, mistakes i think that's for me or the repeated injury at certain times of the year and the inability to adapt to that i think the the, the last point that i make is is um is is coaches that have strong beliefs but they're loosely held so they have the humility to know that okay this is what i know now and this is my philosophy and i, and I certainly have a lot of confidence in it but that's not to say that there's a better way of doing certain aspects that are right there mm-hmm. so i feel like some coaches fall into the trap of um what's called the isoling effect which is where you you um you well you what's the word 
you Iceland. go down the route of so it's isoling. So I've learned about this recently, actually. So it's basically where you employ familiar methods, despite the fact that better options are out there or better oh, alternatives okay. or solutions sort of are out traditional, there. Traditional, a traditionalist approach, right? You're you're, yeah. you're doing what's comfortable, what's familiar, because you you yeah. have a strongly held belief in it. Well, yeah, hundred percent. Well, that's not a problem in coaching. <laughs> I mean, let's let's not go down that route because that could be another another conversation itself, right? Yeah. Um, but it's well, it's Stu the coach. And I talk quite a bit about that. Yeah, but it, it, for me, it's 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 the coaches that are humble enough to to and open minded enough to to take on board something that someone else who might might not might not necessarily be a coach could be contributing to 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 benefit their program and, and benefit their athletes and for me that's a, that's a i know it's not you know an x and y in terms of like the methodology that goes into it or like the program per se but it's a certainly an approach and an yeah, attitude absolutely. that and a characteristics that i think is, I is so so valuable yeah so um let me ask you a question then um uh, you haven't heard you haven't listened to the damn podcast and at, near the end of it i talk a little bit about uh what um, what my ex what my experience in the topic him and I are talking about, and I'm not gonna I don't want to give you any spoilers because you just just listen to it. But um, what my how my experience in that in that shaped my coaching, and what I said was that <clears throat> I developed an uh, an extreme ob objectivity right? Like a, a, an ability to be honest with myself, almost to a fault when, when it comes to my coaching. Okay. Whereas the last thing I will do if, if possible is blame an athlete for, for something. And I mean, but if that's where my objectivity takes me, I'm not, I'm not against doing it, but I'm always sort of looking at myself and my own programming just to sort of feedback, like, where did I fuck up here? Right. You know, um, where are you in that stage with your development? I mean, and is it something you saw in football with coaches? Um, you know, just as a general topic. And then, and then after this, we can, you know, we'll, we'll shut it down for this one. This has been really good. It's better than our other ones. Yeah. We played the other we ones. Were good, but this was really good. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I try to be as inwardly facing as possible. I feel like if there's an opportunity to learn, it's from athletes underperforming. Um, because obviously, you know, there are so many things that you're responsible for when it comes to an athlete's performance. So it's, I see it as, as like a series of experiments, which I know sounds a bit woolly, but it's essentially, okay, so this didn't work yet. I expose the athlete to that. So I should take responsibility for that. And I try to, to educate the athletes that I work with in terms of that's what we're trying to achieve here. Like, don't feel like this is you making the mistake. This is our decision. You know, it's, it's, it's a collaborative approach and I'm happy to take responsibility. Um, obviously, we want to hold them to account in certain aspects, but I feel like that's something that, a lot of athletes don't have exposure to in the world of athletics. Um, in football, I think it, I've seen it done well and I've seen it done not so well. I feel like 
the the environment that an so the environment that a coach creates plays a massive role, especially in team sports, because yeah. I've seen you know I've seen some environments where athletes don't want to take risks in the presence of others or in the presence of that coach because they you know they're intimidated by the response that they might have if they don't do that well versus those that have it you know have a coach that really advocates risk-taking and wants to, them to express themselves in terms of how they perform and you can see that on the pitch in terms of how they play and i think that's something that you know the kate the coach orchestrates that so i feel like it's such a powerful position to, to be in in team sports and i've tried to bring that over to individual sports where you know right we want to have the opportunity to to express yourself to learn things to to, to self-reflect and and to make mistakes and to to really problem solve on your own like i'm not going to give you all the answers this is could be a path of discovery for yourself in terms of can you come up with this uh solution by yourself rather than relying on me because again that's that empowerment piece there so i feel like you know yes you've got to hold them to account in certain respects but for me it, it begins and ends with how you how you coach and how and the environment that you create in terms of how the athlete develops within it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah so so what do you so you you think that what these football coaches are good at soccer coaches are good at is sort of riding that line between being a leader and creating an environment but also empowering the I guess the coaches underneath them and the athletes to be able to to lead things on their own is that am I yeah hundred percent well okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Have, have have you ever read any uh, of the stories about Ernest Shackleton the explorer yeah yeah Could um you knew that okay. yeah yeah so he's got a book about it. it's called endurance right yeah yeah very um, good. yeah yeah, yeah, well, yeah there's a yeah. couple of them uh, the, the, actually the best one is the one written by a Chicagoan. Um, <laughs> okay. And, um, I'm good. I'm, uh, Oh my God. What's the guy's name? Uh, uh, Tom's going to kill me, but, uh, I should, anyways, I've, I've read all of them. There's a couple of, them. there was one written by the captain of the ship Worsley. There's one, this other one I'm talking about. Oh my God. What's the guy's name? I should know. Anyways. Uh, and I've read all kinds of stuff. There's leadership books written about it, but it's, that's, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a podcast on that with my buddy, Tom, who's also a, uh, uh, we, we cross over in two big, strong areas, three, actually athletics. He's an endurance coach here in Chicago. Um, uh, um, Frank Turner, we're huge Frank Turner fans, right? In fact, we're nice. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm about to start a, a 10 day, follow frank turner tour i'm seeing him this saturday in so memphis good. the next night in st louis then bloomington midweek and then the weekend after in cleveland and columbus and i just saw him in vegas so it, it, yeah nice i fucking love that guy anyways yeah yeah um and somewhere in there i'm seeing the black pumas and uh the fabrice fabrice brothers i think they're called with tom anyways so but um what the hell was I talking about? I was talking about, yeah. Oh, Shackleton. Yeah. Yeah. But we yeah, all yeah, cross yeah. over in the Shackleton thing. And it, when you read that story and what he went through and how he led those guys, I mean, it, it is like, it is, it's like a, um, it's a blueprint for how to lead. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it's incredible because 
Do you, do you you know any? I mean, I'm not going to get into the story, but you know the story, right? They basically got abandoned on the ice down. I mean, it was fucking hopeless. Like this is this is down. This is in 1914-15, and these guys with no communication with the outside world, nobody knew where they were, what happened to them, and they're floating on ice for a year. At one point, they were they they. I think their total time on the ice is a year and a half uh, from the moment you know, and I and they. And then anyways, and then they end up on this rock outcropping of an island, which is, you know, there's no growth vegetation on it in the, in the Antarctic ocean. And they get that, they end up getting there through in their rowboats. And then six of them have to cross the, the, uh, the Antarctic ocean, like 800 miles in a fucking rowboat takes them like three weeks or two weeks or three weeks and they gotta you know using a sextant right anyways the point is and they get to this island and then he saves the day and all of this and, and goes back and gets guy doesn't lose a single man right and yeah uh, the point of the story is that they um or the point i'm bringing up is that you know like you read this story and the guy was just positive all the time like nothing yeah, yeah. He and he just knew, and this is this con, and you know, and all of this is pieced together through the diaries of these guys because everybody back then kept diaries, right? So and that's how that's that's about eighty percent of the information that these all these books are written on are from diaries and from the book that the captain himself wrote because he went through it all. But oh my god, it's just unbelievable. It's like, but I I you know every time I I I go I go and I. And I read, go back and read more of it. It's just like, I'm just like, oh my God, this is just like coaches could learn so much. I actually yeah. had a, there's a, there's a number of authors out there who have, um, who do like Shackleton leadership presentations and they've written books and I had one of them lined up for the podcast and then she bailed on me. I think, I think she started listening to the podcast. Like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> that guy's a fucking idiot. So, so, so Tom and I are going to do it ourselves. And, and we're nice. gonna we're gonna talk about it, but anyways, but you should yeah, yeah. pick up that book. Yeah, Get yeah. The one, I, uh, I will send you a link with the, with the. There's two of them. I think they're both called Endurance. And the second is that right? Yeah. And the second one is uh, God. Anyways, I I will send you the guy's name, and mm. it's just a uh, it's a really well told story. It's very very cool. So, anyways, on nice. that note, Harvey, let's uh, we'll shut her down and we'll do this again maybe next week or something, and we'll we'll try to. We'll do a series of these or see see what see where it goes. But that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's okay. good fun. All right. So, all right, brother. Well, thanks. Say hi to the big man for me when you see him. Tell him I tell him he's gone dark on me, Mister Week. Right. Okay. Mr. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pull, I'll pull him up he, on that. Yeah, he's gone dark on me. Tell him I know why he's gone dark. So tell him he's not getting away. But... <laughs> all right, man. I've got that in mind. Thanks, all right, Derek. All right. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah. See you.